Chapter Twenty Three from Bullfinch's The Age of Chivalry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Age of Chivalry by Thomas Bullfinch. Chapter Twenty Three. Mort de Arthur. Sir Mordred was left ruler of all England, and he caused letters to be written, as if from beyond sea that King Arthur was slain in battle. So he called a parliament, and made himself be crowned king. And he took the queen Guinevere, and said plainly that he would wed her, but she escaped from him, and took refuge in the Tower of London. And Sir Mordred went and laid siege about the Tower of London, and made great assaults thereat, but all might not avail him. Then came word to Sir Mordred that King Arthur had raised the siege of Sir Lancelot, and was coming home. Then Sir Mordred summoned all the barony of the land, and much people drew unto Sir Mordred, and said they would abide with him for better and for worse. And he drew a great host to Dover, for there he heard say that King Arthur would arrive. I hear the steps of Mordred in the west, and with him many of thy people, and knights once thine, whom thou hast loved, but grosser grown than heathen, spitting at their vows in thee. The passing of Arthur. And as Sir Mordred was at Dover with his host, came King Arthur, with a great number of ships and galleys, and there was Sir Mordred awaiting upon the landing. Then was there launching of great boats and small, full of noble men of arms, and there was much slaughter of gentle knights on both parts. But King Arthur was so courageous, there might no manner of knights prevent him to land, and his knights fiercely followed him and so they landed, and put Sir Mordred aback, so that he fled, and all his people. And when the battle was done, King Arthur commanded to bury his people that were dead, and then was noble Sir Gawain found, in a great boat, lying more than half dead. And King Arthur went to him, and made sorrow out of measure. Mine uncle, said Sir Gawain, know thou well my death day is come, and all is through mine own hastiness and willfulness, for I am smitten upon the old wound which Sir Launcelot gave me, of which I feel I must die. And had Sir Launcelot been with you as of old, this war had never begun, and of all this I am the cause. Then Sir Gawain prayed the king to send for Sir Launcelot, and to cherish him above all other knights. And so at the hour of noon Sir Gawain yielded up his spirit, and then the king bade inter him in a chapel within Dover Castle, and there all men may see the skull of him, and the same wound is seen that Sir Launcelot gave him in battle. Then it was told the king that Sir Mordred had pitched his camp upon Barrendown, and the king rode thither, and there was a great battle betwixt them, and King Arthur's party stood best, and Sir Mordred and his party fled unto Canterbury. And there was a day assigned betwixt King Arthur and Sir Mordred, that they should meet upon a down beside Salisbury, and not far from the seaside, to do battle yet again. And at night, as the king slept, he dreamed a wonderful dream. It seemed him verily that there came Sir Gawain unto him, with a number of fair ladies with him. And when King Arthur saw him, he said, Welcome, my sister's son, I weened thou hadst been dead, and now I see thee alive, great is my joy. But, O fair nephew, what be these ladies that hither be come with you? Sir, said Sir Gawain, 
all these be ladies for whom I have fought when I was a living man, and because I did battle for them in righteous quarrel, they have given me grace to bring me hither unto you, to warn you of your death, if ye fight to-morrow with Sir Mordred. Therefore take ye treaty, and proffer you largely for a month's delay, for within a month shall come Sir Launcelot and all his noble knights, and rescue you worshipfully, and slay Sir Mordred and all that hold with him. And then Sir Gawain and all the ladies vanished. And anon the king called to fetch his noble lords and wise bishops unto him. And when they were come, the king told them his vision, and what Sir Gawain had told him. Then the king sent Sir Lucan, the butler, and Sir Bevedere, with two bishops, and charged them in any wise to make a treaty for a month and a day with Sir Mordred. So they departed, and came to Sir Mordred, and so, at the last, Sir Mordred was agreed to have Cornwall and Kent during Arthur's life, and all England after his death. Sir Mordred, he the nearest to the king, his nephew, ever like a subtle beast, lay countant with his eyes upon the throne, ready to spring, waiting a chance. Guinevere. Then it was agreed that King Arthur and Sir Mordred should meet betwixt both their hosts, and each of them should bring fourteen persons, and then and there they should sign the treaty. And when King Arthur and his knights were prepared to go forth, he warned all his host, If so be ye see any sword drawn, look ye come on fiercely, and slay whomever withstandeth, for I in no wise trust that traitor Sir Mordred. In like wise Sir Mordred warned his host. So they met, and were agreed and accorded thoroughly, and wine was brought, and they drank. Right then came an adder out of a little heath-bush, and stung a knight on the foot. And when the knight felt him sting, he looked down and saw the adder, and then he drew his sword to slay the adder, and thought of no other harm. And when the host on both sides saw that sword drawn, they blew trumpets and horns, and shouted greatly. And King Arthur took his horse and rode to his party, saying, Alas, this unhappy day! And Sir Mordred did in likewise. And never was there a more doleful battle in Christian land. And ever King Arthur rode throughout the battle, and did full nobly, as a worthy king should. And Sir Mordred that day did his devoir, and put himself in great peril. And thus they fought all the long day, till the most of all the noble knights lay dead upon the ground. Then the king looked about him, and saw of all his host were left alive but two knights, Sir Lucan the butler, and Sir Bevedere his brother, and they were full sore wounded. Then King Arthur saw where Sir Mordred leaned upon his sword among a great heap of dead men. Now give me my spear, said Arthur to Sir Lucan, for yonder I espy the traitor that hast wrought all this woe. Sir, let him be, said Sir Lucan, for if ye pass this unhappy day, ye shall be right well revenged upon him. Remember what the sprite of Sir Gawain told you, and leave off now, for ye have won the field, and if ye leave off now, this evil day of destiny is past. Betide me life, betide me death, said King Arthur, he shall not now escape my hands. Then the king took his spear in both hands, and ran toward Sir Mordred, crying, Traitor, now is thy death day come. And there King Arthur smote Sir Mordred under the shield, with a thrust of his spear through the body. And when Sir Mordred felt that he had his death wound, 
with the might that he had he smote King Arthur, with his sword holden in both his hands, on the side of the head, that the sword pierced the helmet and the brain-pan, and then Sir Mordred fell stark dead upon the earth. And the noble Arthur fell in a swoon to the earth. And Sir Lucan the butler and Sir Bevedere raised him up, and gently laid him betwixt them both to a little chapel not far from the seaside. And when the king was there he thought him well eased. Then heard they people cry in the field, and Sir Lucan went to see what that cry betokened, and he saw by the moonlight that pillars and robbers were come to rob the dead. And he returned and said to the king, By my reed, it is best that we bring you to some town. I would it were so, said the king. And when the king tried to go, he fainted. Then Sir Lucan took up the king on the one part, and Sir Bevedere on the other part, and in the lifting, Sir Lucan fell in a swoon to the earth, for he was grievously wounded. And then the noble knight's heart burst. And when the king awoke, he beheld Sir Lucan how he lay foaming at the mouth and speechless. Alas, said the king, this is to me a full heavy sight, to see this noble duke so die for my sake. For he would have hope in me that had more need of help than I, and he would not complain, his heart was so set to help me. Then Sir Bevedere wept for his brother. Leave this morning in weeping, said the king, for wilt thou well, if I might live myself, the death of Sir Lucan would grieve me ever more, but my time hieth fast. Therefore, said Arthur unto Sir Bevedere, take thou Excalibur my good sword, and go with it to yonder waterside, and when thou comest there I charge thee throw my sword in that water, and come again and tell me what thou there seest. My lord, said Sir Bevedere, your commandment shall be done. So Sir Bevedere departed, and by the way he beheld that noble sword, that the pommel and the haft were all of precious stones, and then he said to himself, If I throw this rich sword into the water, no good shall come thereof, but only harm and loss. And then Sir Bevedere hid Excalibur under a tree, and so, as soon as he might, he came again to the king. What sawest thou there? said the king. Sir, he said, I saw nothing. Alas, thou hast deceived me, said the king. Go thou lightly again, and as thou love me, spare not to throw it in. Then Sir Bevedere went again, and took the sword in his hand to throw it. But again it beseemed him but sin and shame to throw away that noble sword, and he hid it away again, and returned and told the king he had done his commandment. What sawest thou there? said the king. Sir, he said, I saw nothing but waters deep and waves wan. Ah, traitor, untrue, said King Arthur. Now hast thou betrayed me twice, and yet thou art named a noble knight, and hast been lief and dear to me. But now go again, and do as I bid thee, for thy long tarrying putteth me in jeopardy of my life. Then Sir Bevedere went to the sword, and lightly took it up, and went to the water-side, and he bound the girdle about the hilt, and then he threw the sword as far into the water as he might. And there came an arm and a hand out of the water, and met it, and caught it, and shook it thrice, and brandished it, and then vanished away the hand with the sword in the water. Then Sir Bevedere came again to the king, and told him what he saw. Help me hence, said the king, for I fear I have tarried too long. Then Sir Bevedere took the king on his back, 
and so went with him to that waterside, and when they came there, even fast by the bank there rode a little barge with many fair ladies in it, and among them was a queen, and all had black hoods, and they wept and shrieked when they saw King Arthur. Now put me in the barge, said the king, and there received him three queens with great mourning, and in one of their laps King Arthur laid his head. And the queen said, Ah, dear brother, why have ye tarried so long? Alas, this wound on your head hath caught overmuch cold. And then they rode from the land, and Sir Bevedere beheld them go from him. Then he cried, Ah, my lord Arthur, will ye leave me here alone among mine enemies? Comfort thyself, said the king, for in me there is no further help, for I will to the isle of Avalon to heal me of my grievous wound. And as soon as Sir Bevedere had lost sight of the barge, he wept and wailed. Then he took the forest, and went all that night, and in the morning he was ware of a chapel and a hermitage. Then went Sir Bevedere thither, and when he came into the chapel, he saw where lay a hermit on the ground, near a tomb that was newly graven. Sir, said Sir Bevedere, what man is there buried that ye pray so near unto? Fair son, said the hermit, I know not verily, but this night there came a number of ladies, and brought hither one dead, and prayed me to bury him. Alas, said Sir Bevedere, that was my lord, King Arthur. Then Sir Bevedere swooned, and when he awoke he prayed the hermit he might abide with him, to live with fasting and prayers. Ye are welcome, said the hermit, so there bowed Sir Bevedere with the hermit, and he put on poor clothes, and served the hermit full lowly in fasting and in prayers. Thus of Arthur I find never more written in books that be authorized, nor more of the very certainty of his death, but thus was he led away in a ship, wherein were three queens, and one was King Arthur's sister, Queen Morgan le Fay, the other was Viviane, the Lady of the Lake, and the third was the Queen of North Gallus. And this tale Sir Bevedere, Knight of the Table Round, made to be written. Yet some men say that King Arthur is not dead, but hid away into another place, and men say that he shall come again and reign over England. But many say that there is written on his tomb this verse, Hi facet Arthurus, rex quondam, rex que futurus. Here Arthur lies, king once, and king to be. And when Queen Guinevere understood that King Arthur was slain, and all the noble knights with him, she stole away, and five ladies with her, and so she went to Almsbury, and made herself a nun, and wear white clothes and black, and took great penance as ever did sinful lady, and lived in fasting, prayers, and almsdeeds. And there she was abbess and ruler of the nuns. And when she came to Almsbury, she spake there to the nuns, and said, Mine enemies pursue me, but, O peaceful sisterhood, receive, and yield me sanctuary, nor ask her name to whom ye yield it, till her time to tell you. And her beauty, grace, and power wrought as a charm upon them, and they spared to ask it. Guinevere. Now turn we from her, and speak of Sir Launcelot of the Lake. When Sir Launcelot heard in his country that Sir Mordred was crowned king of England, and made war against his own uncle, King Arthur, then was Sir Launcelot wroth out of measure, and said to his kinsmen, Alas, that double traitor, Sir Mordred! 
now it repenteth me that ever he escaped out of my hands. Then Sir Launcelot and his fellows made ready in all haste, with ships and galleys, to pass into England, and so he passed over till he came to Dover, and there he landed with a great army. Then Sir Launcelot was told that King Arthur was slain. Alas, said Sir Launcelot, this is the heaviest tidings that ever came to me. Then he called the kings, dukes, barons, and knights, and said thus, My fair lords, I thank you all for coming into this country with me, but we came too late, and that shall repent me while I live. But since it is so, said Sir Launcelot, I will myself ride and seek my lady, Queen Guinevere, for I have heard say she hath fled into the west. Therefore ye shall abide me here fifteen days, and if I come not within that time, then take your ships and your host, and depart into your country. So Sir Launcelot departed and rode westerly, and there he sought many days, and at last he came to a nunnery, and was seen of Queen Guinevere as he walked in the cloister, and when she saw him she swooned away, and when she might speak she bade him to be called to her, and when Sir Launcelot was brought to her she said, Sir Launcelot, I require thee and beseech thee, for all the love that ever was betwixt us, that you never see me more, but return to thy kingdom and take thee a wife, and live with her with joy and bliss, and pray for me to my lord, that I may get my soul's health. Nay, madam, said Sir Launcelot, wit you well that I shall never do. But the same destiny that ye have taken you to, will I take me unto, for to please and serve God. And so they parted, with tears and much lamentation, and the ladies bare the queen to her chamber, and Sir Launcelot took his horse and rode away weeping. And at last Sir Launcelot was ware of a hermitage and a chapel, and then he heard a little bell ring to mass, and thither he rode and alighted, and tied his horse to the gate, and heard mass. And he that sang the mass was the hermit with whom Sir Bevedere had taken up his abode, and Sir Bevedere knew Sir Launcelot, and they spake together after mass. But when Sir Bevedere had told his tale, Sir Launcelot's heart almost burst for sorrow. Then he kneeled down, and prayed the hermit to shrive him, and besought that he might be his brother. Then the hermit said, I will gladly, and then he put a habit upon Sir Launcelot, and there he served God day and night, with prayers and fastings. And the great host abode at Dover till the end of the fifteen days set by Sir Launcelot, and then Sir Bohort made them to go home again to their own country, and Sir Bohort, Sir Hector de Marys, Sir Blamore, and many others, took on them to ride through all England to seek Sir Launcelot. So Sir Bohort by fortune rode until he came to the same chapel where Sir Launcelot was, and when he saw Sir Launcelot in that manner of clothing, he prayed the hermit that he might be in that same. And so there was an habit put upon him, and there he lived in prayers and fasting. And within half a year came others of the knights, their fellows, and took such a habit as Sir Launcelot and Sir Bohort had, Thus they endured in great penance six years. And upon a night there came a vision to Sir Launcelot, and charged him to haste towards Almsbury, and, quote, By the time thou come there, thou shalt find Queen Guinevere dead. End quote. Then Sir Launcelot rose up early, and told the hermit thereof. Then said the hermit, It were well that ye disobey not this vision. 
and Sir Launcelot took his seven companions with him, and on foot they went from Glastonbury to Almsbury, which is more than thirty miles. And when they were come to Almsbury, they found that Queen Guinevere died but half an hour before. Then Sir Launcelot saw her visage, but he wept not greatly, but sighed. And so he did all the observance of the service himself, both the dirge at night, and at morn he sang mass. And there was prepared an horse-beer, and Sir Launcelot and his fellows followed the beer on foot from Almsbury, until they came to Glastonbury. And she was wrapped in seared clothes, and laid in a coffin of marble. And when she was put in the earth, Sir Launcelot swooned, and lay long as one dead. And Sir Launcelot never after ate but little meat, nor drank, but continually mourned. And within six weeks Sir Launcelot fell sick, and he sent for the hermit and all his true fellows, and said, Sir Hermit, I pray you give me all my rights that a Christian man ought to have. It shall not need, said the hermit and all his fellows. It is but heaviness of your blood, and to-morrow morn you shall be well. My fair lords, said Sir Launcelot, my careful body will into the earth. I have warning more than now I will say. Therefore give me my rights. So when he was houseled and annulled, and had all that a Christian man ought to have, he prayed the hermit that his fellows might bear his body to joyous guard. Some men say it was Alnwick, and some say it was Bamborough. It repenteth me sore, said Sir Launcelot, but I made a vow aforetime that in joyous guard I would be buried. Then there was weeping and wringing of hands among his fellows, and that night Sir Launcelot died, and when Sir Bohort and his fellows came to his bedside the next morning, they found him stark dead, and he lay as if he had smiled, and the sweetest savour all about him that ever they knew. And they put Sir Launcelot into the same horse-beer that Queen Guinevere was laid in, and the hermit and they all together went with the body, till they came to joyous guard. And there they laid his corpse in the body of the choir, and sang and read many psalms and prayers over him, and ever his visage was laid open and naked, that all folks might behold him. And right thus, as they were at their service, there came Sir Hector de Maris, that had seven years sought Sir Lancelot, his brother, through all England, Scotland, and Wales. And when Sir Hector heard such sounds in the chapel of Joyous Guard, he alighted and came into the choir. And all they knew Sir Hector. Then went Sir Bohort, and told him how there lay Sir Launcelot his brother, dead. Then Sir Hector threw his shield, his sword, and helm from him. And when he beheld Sir Launcelot's visage, it were hard for any tongue to tell the doleful complaints he made for his brother. Ah, Sir Launcelot, he said, there thou liest, and now I dare to say thou wert never matched of none earthly knight's hand, and thou wert the courteousest knight that ever bare shield, and thou wert the truest friend of thy lover that ever bestrode horse, and thou wert the truest lover of a sinful man that ever loved woman, and thou wert the kindest man that ever struck with sword, and thou wert the goodliest person that ever came among press of knights and thou wert the meekest man and the gentlest that ever ate in hall among ladies. And thou wert the sternest knight to thy mortal foe that ever put spear in the rest. Then there was weeping and dolor out of measure. Thus they kept Sir Launcelot's corpse fifteen days, and then they buried it with great devotion. 
Then they went back with the hermit to his hermitage. And Sir Bevedere was there ever still hermit to his life's end. And Sir Bohort, Sir Hector, Sir Blamor, and Sir Bleoberus went into the Holy Land. And these four knights did many battles upon the miscreants, the Turks. And there they died upon a good Friday, as it pleased God. Thus endeth this noble and joyous book, entitled La Morte de Arthur, notwithstanding it treateth of the birth, life, and acts of the said King Arthur, and of his noble knights of the round table, their marvellous enquests and adventures, the achieving of the Sangreal, and, in the end, La Morte de Arthur, with the dolorous death and departing out of this world of them all. Which book was reduced into English by Sir Thomas Mallory, knight, and divided into twenty-one books, chaptered and imprinted and finished in the Abbey Westminster, the last day of July, the year of our Lord, 1485. Caxton Mayfieri Fesset End of chapter 23